Well, failure is defined this way. It's a, an act or an instance of failing or proving unsuccessful. Another way you might look at it is a lack of success. His name was Jack Canfield. He was rejected 144 times before he found a publisher for his book, Chicken Soup for the Soul. When he told his publisher that he wanted to sell 1.5 million copies in the first 18 months, his publisher laughed in his face and said, you would be lucky to sell 20,000. That first book sold over 8 million copies in the United States and 10 million copies worldwide. His chicken soup brand is now worth over $1 billion. He said this, the reality is that you just have to say, I am more committed to my vision than I am committed to your doubt or my fear, and you just go for it. Steven Spielberg was rejected twice when he applied to enter film school at the University of Southern California. That didn't seem to stop him from directing films as his movies now have grossed over $8.5 billion. After becoming famous, USC awarded him with an honorary degree. <laughs> and later he has been named a trustee of the university. J.K. Rowling, after a dozen publishers rejected her manuscript, one finally agreed to publish it. But the publisher told Rowling that she needed to get a job because there's no money in children's books. Now after the Harry Potter series, she is a billionaire. You might never fail on this scale as I did, Rowling told the new graduates at Harvard University, but it's impossible to live without failing at something. Unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. And Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all times, was devastated when he was cut from his varsity basketball team as a sophomore. Good thing failure only inspired him to work harder. Six NBA championships later, he said this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I was asked to take the winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. He continues to fail as he tried baseball. And now he's tried to be an owner. <laughs> His record as a player was 664 and 285. As an owner, he is 185 and 291. But at least he's still failing forward. One thing all these people have in common perseverance. They've never given up. I remember the first time I felt like a failure. It was when I was fired from my first job. <laughs> uh, the job I had always wanted to do all of a sudden had happened, and now I was traveling, playing trumpet. I was on a tour bus. I was in the group that I had always wanted to be in. I wasn't making very much money, but I was doing what I wanted to do. I thought I had arrived until one day in the back of the bus, I had a conversation with the director, and when he said this, he said, you know what, Matthew, you're a really good trumpet player. You're just not the right trumpet player for us. And then he said, but I don't have a replacement, so would you stay with us until I find one? 
Now, that's not an eight-to-five job where you just go and come home. No, I lived on a bus with 17 people or at the Days Inn in Mobile, Alabama. I had to live on that bus and play trumpet and hang out and have all-night drives with my friends who knew I was a good trumpet player, but I wasn't good enough. And if that wasn't enough a month earlier, my wife, now Maddie, and I broke off our engagement. And when I came back to California, I had no car, I had no money, I had no place to live, I had no job, I had no fiancé. That is what a degree in trumpet performance will get you. (laughs) And I lived on my college roommate's floor, and I borrowed his car to come to my interview at this church. Failure? Kind of felt like. You ever been there? You ever felt like that? Some of you might feel like that today. I could go down the list. From a lost job, to a marriage, to a broken relationship, to someone letting you down, to missing the final shot in a game, to getting back that test you studied so hard for and at the top was just a giant F. I know none of you had that, right? None of us don't set out to fail, I don't think. And for some of us today, our fear of failure is the only failure we allow ourselves to experience. (laughs) We are too fearful to step out after failure, so failure begins before we ever get started. We avoid activities where there might be risk of failing. Sometimes we avoid people by whether their greater success or their disapproval of us, it makes us feel like a failure. And maybe we only spend time with people who are no threat to us or stay away from those who have hurt us because we fear the repetition of the hurt and the pain from the past. And if we're not careful, our fear of failure can begin to erode our faith. It actually can keep us from fulfilling our God-given call because we're afraid to fail once again. And frankly, we're afraid to step out past our own comfort zone to where this is only going to happen if God shows up. That's actually called faith. (laughs) But we fail because we never step. And what I continue to learn as I grow older is that the enemy wants us to focus on the failures of our past when our Heavenly Father is focused solely on the success of our future. See, the enemy wants you to focus on the failures of your past Your father wants you to focus solely on the future because that's where he is. And if you can stay in your past and if you can be caught up in your failure and if you cannot cross over that line, then the enemy has won. But today I'm here to tell you that even though you have failed, and guess what? You're going to fail again. And so am I. With as much confidence as I tell you that, I can tell you this. As a child of God, you are not a failure. In fact... Your failing has just put you in some of the greatest company and the greatest heroes the Bible ever talks about. So today, fatal, though your failures might seem, fatal they are not in the eyes of God. Exodus 3 is where we'll be today. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 3. If not, there's some below you or it's going to be on the screens. His name was Moses. He was a Hebrew baby boy who one day was destined to deliver a nation. 
He was put in the Nile by his parents. He was orphaned and given away, and Pharaoh's daughter rescued him, eventually took him into the palace to raise him as her son. If you know the story, there was a time when Moses decided to identify himself with his own Hebrew people, and he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was out, and he was on a walk, and he saw one of his fellow brothers, a Hebrew, getting beat up, and he intervened, and as he intervened, he killed the man that was going after the Hebrew, and to cover that up, he buried him and put him in the ground, thinking no one had seen, but that wasn't the case. Someone had seen, Pharaoh found out, now his life was in jeopardy and he was a man on the run. You could break Moses' life down into three segments of 40 years at a time as he lived to be 120 or so. The first 40 years was a heroic warrior man living in the palace. The next 40 years are now, he is wandering and running. And he goes and becomes a man of simplicity, really a nobody now, from somebody to nobody as he begins to tend sheep. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep, and he's on the backside of the desert. And the third segment of life begins as God shows up and begins to speak to Moses. And in chapter 3, verse 1, here's what he says. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight and why this bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing. That's holy ground. On the backside of the desert, God speaks to the shepherd who'd been on the run, who I maybe am for sure in my eyes looked at himself as probably a failure. (laughs) And then God shows up and he speaks through a bush. You know what a bush is? It's a failed tree. (laughs) Think about it. He didn't speak through a, a big old redwood. He didn't speak through a giant oak. No, he comes and he speaks through a thorny, dead, old, good-for-nothing bush. And the failed tree comes alive. I love that picture. Because I think the dead bush could be you and me. And our past might keep us a good-for-nothing person, dead, no chance. And then God shows up, and there's a fire that's within you that can't be contained. God comes and speaks through the lifeless bush, and he speaks to a guy that's going to be a catalyst for changing the world. I think it's one of the greatest pictures in Scripture, and I'm so grateful that God uses men and women, boys and girls, and people that have failed and have been considered dead good for nothing but then when God comes in and changes their life there's something that just lights up Moses Moses I got something for you he goes on in verse 6 
He said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from this hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and a land flowing with honey. It is the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Havites, and the Jebusites. I practiced that for hours. And now the city of Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh, and I'm going to ask you to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God gives him great detail. God tells him every group that he wants him to go and meet. He tells him there's going to be this land. You can't even imagine. It's going to be filled with milk. It's going to be filled with honey. It is awesome, Moses. I am calling you. Verse 11, Moses says to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? <laughs> who am I is the question Moses poses to God. Think about it. He's having a personal conversation with his creator. He's having a personal conversation with the creator of the world. And who is he worried about? Who is he focused on? Himself. It wasn't in a prideful way, but I think it was in a way that said, Hey, God, who am I? Do you know, do you know who I am? I'm the dude that, that, that left the... The guy dead, and I buried him, and I thought I got away with it, and I didn't. I, I'm the guy that's been on the backside of the desert for 40 years. I've been a nobody. Do you know who I am, God? I'm a murderer. I was an orphaned kid just put in the Nile. Do you, do you know? I'm not all of that. And maybe he was thinking, God, do you know that I'm a failure? You got the wrong guy. I don't know about you, but I have understood in my life that, that when fear of my failure rules my life, I tend to focus on my inadequacies more than focusing on God's power and His promises. I tend to think it has to do with me when it always has to do with God. So Moses says, who am I? And I love God's response because He doesn't answer the question. <laughs> Verse 12, he says, I will be with you. I will be with you, Moses. That's all you need. I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I was there all the time. But listen, Moses, I'm calling you. And I will be with you. Some of you today are bouncing back or in, in the midst of a major failure. And the enemy has you focused on your past. And today you just need to know that God is focused solely on your future. And here's what he says to you today. I will be with you. I will be with you. 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 And he goes on in verse 12. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God in the mountain. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go up to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? 
Now he's starting to make excuses, and God says to Moses, tell him, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. So now this tension begins between Moses and God, and he begins to make excuses because after who am I didn't work, and after God didn't accept that he was a failure, he begins to make up all these excuses. In verse 16, we read that God tells him, go to the elders, and you tell them that God has come the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac and Jacob, and I am going to take them and I am going to free their people and I am going to give them a land filled with milk and honey and the elders are going to listen to you. And he said, well, what if Pharaoh, the king, doesn't listen to me? He doesn't like me. I'm not in good standing. He said, you tell him God sent them, released the slaves. And he might say no, but let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some signs, Moses. Chapter 4 begins, and he says, see that rod in your hand? Throw it down. And he throws it down, and it turns into a snake. And he says, pick it up. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't pick it up. <laughs> Moses reached down. He picked it up, and it turned back into a rod. He said, put your hand into the vest of your coat. He put his hand in, and he brought it out, and it was full of leprosy. Scripture says in verse 6, chapter 4, it was as white as snow. Put it back in. Put it back in. Came out pure. That's not enough for you, Moses? Okay, take some water from the Nile and put it on the dry ground, and I'm going to turn it to blood. A rod that turns into a snake, back to a rod. A hand that goes in, gets leprous, come out, go back in. It's pure water that comes up, turns into blood. Three unbelievable miracles. I don't know about you, but let me just tell you. Let's just reframe all of this. Got a bush that talks. Got a rod that turns to a snake, goes back to a rod. Got a hand that turns leprous. Got some water that goes to blood. What would you do? I would be like, I am so in right now, God. You don't have to do anything else. If I saw all of that right in front of me, <laughs> I'd be overwhelmed. Verse 10, look what our good guy Moses does. He says to the Lord, oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He goes back to everything being about him. His fear of failure consumed his focus. He has no confidence in self, and sometimes that's okay, but combined with no confidence in God, that's a lethal combination. And he just goes and says, I, I, this calling's way too much, God. You, I, I can't even talk, and now you're asking me to lead a bunch of people. I know you just performed four amazing miracles in front of me, but I just don't believe you know who you're dealing with. Right before I took this job as a pastor in 2004, in 2003, I had gone back to seminary, and I was going to get a degree in theology and church development, and so my counselor told me to take the hardest class, get it out of the way. So you need to understand something, that's right when, in the fall, September, I started being interviewed here in October. So I took the hardest class, which was biblical interpretation. I went back to school after 13 years uh, of not being in school from my undergrad. And so you get put on academic probation. So I was on academic probation, which means I had to have a B average or I would flunk out of seminary. I wouldn't be allowed to come back. So I not only take that class, I take two or three others. So I have a full load. Uh, we're expecting our third child. I'm now starting to be interviewed for this job. And here's what happened at, at half the, the semester. You have a report card that comes out. And I got my report card. <clears throat> I didn't have a B. I had a C in biblical interpretation. And here's what came across my mind. I'm going to get hired as a pastor at this church, and I am going to flunk out of seminary. Yeah. 
the first thing on my resume now will say, flunked out of seminary, and you would have chosen me. And I was like, I wanted to quit because I was scared to death. I would have never taken the hardest class, especially with Dr. Hardley. He was ridiculous. And I'm telling you, I was scared. But somehow, by God's grace, I got a B plus. That's pretty good, yeah. You don't seem real impressed. I thought it was very good. And I finished that degree. And I started thinking about that. You see, God uses all of us who have screwed up and have failed. He's just looking for people to be obedient to his call. We just finished the series on David out of 1st and 2nd Samuel. And, and, and Chris and I received just a ton of emails, probably more emails than we've ever seen, just about how God used this series in you as a church's life. You know what the funny thing is, is I preached 1st and 2nd Samuel and all these emails came in and they were probably more for Chris's sermons than mine because you need to know something. In my undergraduate, which I really wasn't a very good student, I got a D in my 1st and 2nd Samuel class. <laughs> I got a D. Yeah, it's funny. Because now I'm up here teaching you 1st and 2nd Samuel. Only God. Think about it. Why me? I have no idea. Why Moses? Looks like a failure. Shepherd on the back of the desert. He's a murderer. He's an orphan kid. And God says, no, I'm choosing you. Question is, will you be obedient? Mo Moses runs out of excuses. And so all of a sudden, he gets all proper and kind of English in verse 13. And he says, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> I can't even think of any good excuses anymore, so I'm just going to ask you. I'm done, man. I'm out of here. Pardon me, God. You got the wrong person. Send somebody else. Do you ever get the impression that Moses just didn't want to go? It was way out of his comfort zone that this assignment terrified him. You know, God didn't let him off the hook, though, did he? Because it wasn't about Moses. It was about the children of God that were enslaved. It was about doing the will of God. It was about his will over Moses' will. And then in verse 14, it says, The Lord's anger burned against Moses. That's probably an understatement. You take that staff and you go, your brother Aaron, I'm going to send him with you. He'll be your press secretary. He's going to talk. He's much better than you. I already had all that figured out, Moses. You're just going to have to trust in me. And in verse 17, he says, take this staff in your hand so you can perform the sign. Basically, God says to Moses, take the staff, shut up, and go do what I ask you to do. And you would think after all this, Moses finally obeyed. Everything was good. He finally gave in reluctantly, that the children of Israel would be free. Pharaoh would say, yes, a couple months later, everybody's in the land of promise and it's all good. But that's not what happened. Moses said yes. But who he was going to become for God wasn't done, and God wasn't done working on him. He had some lessons that he needed to teach the people, and so he begins 
to finally lead them, and Pharaoh didn't release them. It had, God had to step in and give like 10 plagues before Pharaoh reluctantly gave them up, and Pharaoh then went after him, and you know what happened at the Red Sea, and there was dehydration, and there was people complaining. The Israelites were awful as followers, and they told Moses, hey, why'd you take us out here? Just take us back. We'd be better as slaves in Egypt. It was an awful experience, and then guess what happened? Moses gets to the edge, and God says, thanks, Moses. For your 40 years of service. Everybody but two men were dead that were over the age of 40. And he said, you're fired. <laughs> Somebody else is going to take them into the promised land. You've done your job. It says there in the text that God buried him in the mountain. And Moses was done. If you looked on the story from an outsider, you'd think, dude was a failure. But if you looked at it in the eyes of God or in those of us who still read the stories of Scripture today, there's a resounding no to that failure. He was a man that reluctantly answered the call, but God still used him to free his people. Think about it. He takes all of our failures, and he uses them. He takes all of our past and our brokenness and our hurt, and he says, if you're still willing, I am. And he asks us to stare our failures in the face today and say no more. I might have failed, but I am not a failure. And some of you might ask, well, how do you do that? How do you turn the corner? Well, as we wrap things up, if you just write this one statement down today, and then I'm going to give you three simple ways that I think it'll help you take a next step. But don't let the fear of failure trump the miracle of faith that awaits your obedience on the other side. Don't let the fear of failure trump the miracles of a faith that wait your obedience on the other side. Some of you, God has called you to do something and you've been saying no like Moses and making up excuses for years. And some of you are so comfortable that you're starting to get uncomfortable. And some of you are so comfortable today that this sermon's going to make you uncomfortable. Because God has called you and you've ignored his call. And now God's coming again and saying... I want to use you. What are you going to do? Three ways. First is this. Reframe your failures. I think we have to start looking at our past in the way God does, not in the way we do as human beings. What do I mean by that? God's not focused on that. He's focused forward. Are there consequences? Yes, there always are. But he says, wait a minute. I see your failure different. I use it all in my story. I love what Thomas Edison said. I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> Maybe some of us who have not listened to the voice of God need to quit worrying about failure and worry about the chances we are missing when we don't even try. And then, as you reframe them, remember today, you may feel like a failure, but that does not mean you are a failure. Because your Heavenly Father tells us differently. I remember when I saw Roger Breland, my old boss, at a reunion concert for Truth, the guy that fired me, and then made me sit on a bus for three weeks. Did I tell you that? <laughs> and I went up and I shook his hand, and I gave him a hug, and I told him, thank you. 
for letting me go. I didn't thank him when I was without a car and sleeping on a nasty floor in my roommate's dorm in a sleeping bag and borrowing his car to go to job interviews. I wasn't thanking him when I was sitting on the bus. But I went and got a full-time job playing trumpet at Disneyland, making much as much in an hour as I was making in a week. And then I got hired here, and 25 years later, I'm still here. I don't know. I don't know why God did that. And I didn't like it then. But I promise you, if you would give your self over to God. He'll take all those failures. If you begin to reframe it in his format instead of yours, he'll help you begin to see it differently. Here's what Psalm 37 says. It is the Lord who makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Reframe your failures. The second one is renew your faith. Today, some of you just need to write down somewhere on your notes that God says and promises, I will be with you. I know Moses. I know what he did. I'm with him. I'm with you. And wherever you are today in your failure, in your struggle, your temporary struggles carry with them an eternal weight that you can't even understand. I told you a story of uh, last year when I was in India, and I went and I spoke for these 5,000 new believers in northern India, and that picture showed when, when I got up on stage, and I was just overwhelmed, and they were adding chairs, and people kept coming, and all these people had come to Christ in the last couple of years through what we've been able to do, and it was awesome, but on the ride back to our uh, campus, where we have a campus there with our partners, it used to be owned by an organization called InterVarsity. And our leader in northern India told me a story of this lady. When InterVarsity sold it to OM, Operation Mobilization, they sold the campus to him for $1. And part of the stipulation was, as you continue ministry, we want one of our missionaries to be able to stay on this campus until she goes to heaven. She had been in India for over 50 years. He said that lady passed away on our campus, and she was a saint, and she was honored. She never saw one convert come to faith in Jesus Christ in her 50 years. Not one. And he looked at me as we drove away from there and he said, it was because of the seeds that that missionary planted 50 years ago that today happened. And I don't know about you, but I sat in that bus with that man and my faith was renewed. Because I get so caught up in what happens today or tomorrow or the next month or the next year. But what you do today has an eternal weight that will carry on through eternity that you can't even imagine what God wants to do. And some of you have missed the call of God because you have decided to say no, no, no. Because you're too scared to step out in faith and say yes. What are you missing with the no of your life? Today... I pray that Moses' story renews your faith and that you would be people that stepped out in faith and understand he uses ordinary people like you and me. Psalm 40, verse 2 says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. 
Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Reframe your failures, renew your faith, and last, recalculate your future. Not sure why I used all ours, but I don't know about you. Suri, when I used to get directions, not sure if she still does it, and, and I was going in the wrong direction, she would say, recalculating. Over and over again, recalculating, which meant I was lost. Some of you need to recalculate. Somehow your focus has been all on you. And every time God asks, you say, but. And every time God asks, you give an excuse. I just want you to know. Your future is what he's focused on. And if you fail, get back up. Have you faced your failure today? Let me ask you this. What failure haven't you let go of that isn't letting go of you? What failure haven't you let go of, let go of that isn't letting go of you, that isn't allowing you to step forward in great faith with God, to trust Him with everything that you are? I just want to remind you today that Jesus' finished work on the cross was enough. You don't have to be something because you have everything in Jesus Christ. The power of sin has been broken in your life if you are his follower. The process of sin still remains and we are going to fail, but God's grace is greater today. And he says, I am here and I am interested in you and your future. Let me ask you, who do you need to let off your hook that has let you down? What resentment are you holding on to because someone let you down? Do you need to let them go? Do you need to let forgiveness just kind of flood over you? Who is it? What is it? John Wooden said this, failure isn't fatal, but failure to change might be. The same is for churches too. As we gather, we have one goal, to honor Jesus Christ and to draw people to him. How we do it will change. And in 20 years, it'll be different than it is today. In your life, what is God asking you to change? Today, I just want you to know this. And I pray that you don't let the fear of failure trump the miracles of faith that await your obedience on the other side. And for those of you today that just need a promise and an assurance, here's one you can take to the bank that God says to you wherever you are, I will be with you. Would you stand? Father God, we come to this place in this time where we just thank you for your word and thank you that you preserved some stories that are rich, 
some people we can look to and identify with, God. And all of us have failed. It says that all have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God, we just come before you as broken people in need of you, and we say, would you forgive us? God, thank you today that you are concerned with a future that is before us. And I pray right now in this moment, those that came in here that maybe felt like a failure, that have failed, that are walking through something, that God, today you would show up in their life. That they would experience you, they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are with them. And that God, you would help them over to the other side. Thank you that you wore out Moses and you got him in a place where he needed to trust in you and you only to accomplish what only you could do. God, may we be people that understand we don't have much to offer unless you show up. And you take dead old bushes and you bring them to life. So God, would you take us as people that are in need of great grace and love and would you put a flame within us that would shine for you? Today, would you renew someone's faith? Would you help them, God, to reframe their failure and see that as you see it? God, we thank you for this church. Thank you for every person that's in this service. May they build their life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And may we honor you when we leave this place. In your name I pray.